I want to welcome you to the Arrow Heights podcast, broadcasting live from Arrow Heights Baptist Church in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. My name is Ryan Smith. My name is Nathan Copeland. My name is Josh White, and I have a confession. Ooh, sorry, we're Baptist. Public, oh yeah, well, you're not Pope, so I'm not worried about it. Uh, priests, well, priesthood of believers. Anyways, uh, I was bragging to someone the other day about the fact that on the podcast, we have answered to date every single question, mm. every single question that's been sent in. Along with a few that have not been sent in. <laughs> and yes, this is true. Uh, and this person looked over at me and said, you didn't answer my question. <laughs> and I was uh, like, like panic ensued. Like the anxiety that hit was like, when did I miss this? I was like, I didn't miss your question, bro. I didn't miss your question. He goes, yeah, I sent it on this date. And I went back and looked at the text thing and I totally missed his question. <laughs> wow. That's one of the things we pride ourselves on. We do. We do. And I arrogantly did so. And it slapped me square in the face. Pride comes before fall. Yes, uh, it, it does. It does. And so I was humbled in the moment. Uh, and so our first question today uh, is a little bit Christmassy. Uh, it's time sensitive. <laughs> it is. Help, guys. Uh, but, uh, you know, Tuesday. It, we didn't want to punt until next Christmas to answer this question. And so because we want to be arrogant about answering every question on the podcast, we're going to go ahead and wrestle with this question. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Sweet. Very good. So, uh, and this person, I, I had to answer it because it, they started off, I'm loving the podcast. And I just totally disappointed them. Not anymore. Uh, you know, I think... Uh, I think it just proves that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, uh, I can't be perfect. Uh, and so we just got to, we got to carry that, carry that. Exhibit uh, A. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the pastors is not perfect. Mm -hmm. Lo and behold. But good uh, for them. They went to you one-to-one. -one, yeah. Face-to-face. -face, yeah. And you yeah. were repenting. Oh, he was very, he was very, very caring and, and, and very, very gracious. Uh, but I said, hey, we'll get it on in the next week or two. Uh, so, see, so loving the podcast. He says he has a question for the holiday season. <laughs> Uh, Valentine's Day. Yeah. How important is it to attend Christmas Eve and Christmas Day service? If a person or family is visiting their extended family that's far away from their home church, should they attend a Christmas service at a church nearby? What if their extended family's tradition is to be home and not go to church? I enjoy listening to the podcast and the deep theological issues such as, <laughs> and this is dated, is it moral to eat an abandoned open bag of peanut M&Ms. <laughs> uh, so we're six weeks after uh, this this uh, message came in, but is it uh, how important is it to attend Christmas Eve service, Christmas Day service, or maybe even church in general? We can broaden it a little bit if we want whenever you're traveling. I'll, I'll say a couple of things. First, still highly immoral to eat an an open, unrecognized package of M&Ms. Uh, <laughs> second, I, I would say it's, it's very important because the Bible places great importance on the, the church gathering together. It's important that we remember, particularly during the holiday season, why we are gathered, why we are celebrating, and hopefully uh, a service, whether it's a Christmas Eve service or as we had uh, Christmas on <clears throat> Sunday uh, recently, th those, those can help orient us, especially when we are gathered with family. Those are times when we're making memories. Those are times that we are uh, kind of rehearsing the beauty of the gospel outshining other things. So I would say very important. I would also say uh, not required for salvation. <laughs> you know, so if if you are visiting extended family and the tradition is, hey, on Christmas Eve, because of the nature of everyone's schedules and all these things, uh, we're going to be together at home. Awesome. That's great. Uh, pull out Luke 2 read through, uh, you just make sure that whatever you're doing, you're rehearsing, you're rehearsing the, the gospel and the reason why we celebrate Christmas together. So I would always encourage anyone to, uh, to make that a priority. I would also say if you aren't able to, don't kick yourself. Yeah, that's good. I agree with that. I think that um, I would say it kind of depends on context. 
as it also depends on context, whether or not it's immoral or not to eat those M&Ms. Nah. And I think in this context, it was not immoral. But that's maybe that's a debate for another day. I don't know. As maybe we need to return foundational principle. to the uh, peanut M&M discussion. M&M, M&M gate <laughs> happened when I was not here, even though I did eat the M&Ms the next week. And so maybe I'm the immoral, immoral one of the bunch. So. That's why you had to confess. It is. Yeah. I knew whose they were. <laughs> um, I, I would think that if there is a family that maybe let's say none of the extended family goes to church. To me, I would think that would be a real opportunity that this person would have to sort of bear witness to what uh, the Christmas season, the Christmas celebration is all about. Uh, you want to do so respectfully, obviously, um, but to, to prioritize going to church, say on a Christmas Eve or even early on a Christmas day, uh, I think that would be you know something that could really speak uh, to, to uh, the centrality of Christ. Uh, in in all of life, but especially as we celebrate his his birth, so that's one thing I would say. I agree. Yeah, we, it's not mandated that we celebrate Christmas at all, the Christmas season. Uh, that is, of course, we want to celebrate uh, the the incarnation of our Lord. But uh, we're Puritan enough, I think, on this podcast to say it's not required that we follow the church calendar like that. But there are lots of benefits, as we've talked about as well. Um, so for me, just to speak personally, I think it has been a blessing during the uh, Christmas season or even just other vacation times to go to other churches. Uh, of course, I used to travel around and see lots of churches, and that was a learning experience. Um, but to see kind of what other churches are doing, that can be a learning uh, experience for for anybody. I think especially if you're a parent, uh, to go to you know grandma and grandpa's church or something, and then to... You know, to maybe prepare your children to say, hey, you know, they're going to do things a little bit differently, perhaps. Uh, you know, you may want to prepare them for certain elements of the service that they might find uh, different or unique or weird or whatever. Uh, maybe if you are not going to maybe take the Lord's Supper at that church, that may be something to talk about. Why? Um, uh, yeah, just to, to, to kind of prepare them and then to talk about it afterwards. Differences, uh, similarities. Hopefully, you're going to go to a church where the gospel is preached, and that's the the, the primary uh, significant uh, similarity that we have uh, with with other churches that that name the name of Christ. Uh, if you're going to a church where the gospel is not preached, well, you might want to think twice about that. But also, that might also be a learning opportunity sure. to say, you know, they're they're, they're missing something here. Yeah. Um, I think another thing for me, it's been a blessing just. I think there's something very sort of New Testament-ish about um, kind of being concerned with gospel work outside your own immediate context. Uh, when you read Second John and Third John, those books are really uh, just focused on kind of uh, uh, gospel work in the world, in other churches and other places. The book of Acts is very similar in that way. So that's actually, I mean, just incidentally, just comes to my mind, that's part of what kind of moved me away from a closed communion position to more of what I would call a close communion position. There's some good reasons why believers uh, might say, you know, unless, or, or pastors might say in fencing the table, unless you're a member of our church, we do not invite you to partake in the Lord's Supper. Now, maybe that's maybe that's sort of a weird thing that, Maybe some of our listeners never heard of, but that's definitely a position among Baptists. Um, but I think there's something in the New Testament about um, there's sort of a Catholicity. How's that for a, a nice theological word? Uh, a concern for the the broader church, the universal churches we've talked about. Um, that I think it's hard for me to imagine in Second and Third John, for example, that these brothers coming from other places would not partake in the Lord's Supper uh, with. Uh, uh, the brothers in a different region, you know, so it kind of changed my mind on that a little bit. Um, so anyway, yeah, I think it's a, it's a it's a blessing. It's a great thing. Is it is it necessary or mandatory? No, I think there's lots of good reasons why. Uh, even when you're traveling or, or on a holiday, um, you might want to seek out a gospel preaching church, and if it's with your family members, I think that's that's even better. Yeah, I think it's uh, it, it's helpful. Uh, on another several levels, and you and you kind of alluded to it, but it, it broadens your perspective of the church in general. Like, uh, oftentimes, you know, the reason I love doing collaborative youth ministry events with other churches in the area is because it, it helps uh, broaden our scope, and we're not just 
isolated to it's just Arrow Heights trying to do gospel work, if you're partnering with other churches to do gospel work, gospel ministry, you're like, oh, there's there's more going on than just what we've got going on right here. And when you see all those people at school or, or mm-hmm. uh, out and about, I mean, you've got a camaraderie that you may not have even been aware of uh, before that event had taken place. I think the same goes with uh, visiting other churches whenever you're either on vacation or whenever you're on holiday. You know, you can, uh, it, it helps you appreciate what you've got um, and, and kind of gives you a different perspective of how people engage with the Lord uh, in different other places. Because it's, I mean, it's not just a copy and paste deal. Contextually, church happens differently, mm-hmm. hopefully biblically, but happens differently in different churches. And I think it's helpful to have that perspective. Yeah. So. yeah just one more thing real quick. Um, when my kids were little, we would all drive to church together. Now I'm by myself or maybe with Judson or maybe a couple of others. But one thing we always do is I'll say, hey, let's pray on our way to church. Mm. And not every time probably, but a lot of times we will pray for churches that are between our house and our church because mm. <laughs> we pass a couple of of what I would call kind of sister churches. Um, and I think that that's, that's even to refer to them as sister churches, I think is there's something about that that's really healthy. Uh, we can't all be in the same local church. There are different neighborhoods. There are different cities. There are different countries, you know, out there. It's a big, big wide world. Uh, but to feel that connection and that unity with other believers, especially other believers that that are so closely aligned with us, uh, theologically and even on mission, I think it's just really important and, and something that we can sort of... Um, it's a way to help kind of launch our kids out into the world to say, you have family just about everywhere you go. Mm. And if you don't have family in that place, you should think about going there as a missionary. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I think going to see other local local families, you know, local churches, also helps us understand our own family. You know, whenever we... Uh, whenever you were a kid and you'd go over to a friend's house, you recognize, oh, they decorate differently. They eat different foods, you know, even though it's all kind of the same, that there are different, just different rhythms to to this household that I, I kind of like, yeah, you know, or I kind of miss the one that we that we do. So I think it's it's helpful to broaden. It's helpful also. You can be very intentional in that time. Just this past Sunday, I had someone come up to me and they said, "Hey, just want you to know, I'm visiting here with my family. I'm a part of the XYZ Church uh, over in another city." It's a good name. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. Go. <laughs> uh, j- just wanted to let you know. Uh, yeah, I'm really glad that. My family's here. Loved, you know, the fact that the gospel's preacher. Just want to encourage you, uh, cool. you know. And I think yeah. we could be very intentional about that when we go other places. Uh, you know, just to encourage our family members. Say, hey, I really, I really love how your church sings. I really love, you know, it's just encouraging them and their family, uh, and being being pointed in those in those remarks. That can be very encouraging. That's happened a, a couple of times, even just recently here at Arrow Heights. Just real quick, a quick story about going to a friend's house. <laughs> so when I was a little little guy, I had a friend named Mikey. He lived next door. And uh, you know, we used to hang out in the in the woods in between our house, kind of. It was kind of a line of trees that we would play war and stuff. We were like best buddies. But then I moved, and I'd come back and see him a little bit, but we just kind of lost touch. But one thing about their house that I loved so much is they had this big, what they call Lazy Susan. And everybody got to scoop the food and put it on their own plate. And I thought that was the coolest thing because my mom always like made my plate i was like why can't i make my own plate i just thought man but here's the crazy thing so years and years later i went next door my grandparents were living in that house and i went next door just to see if mikey was there and i said knocked on the door and mikey's not there i talked to his mom and his mom said you know it's crazy uh he's he's uh, actually uh living in i think it was dallas or something he's a professional musician he plays bass guitar in a band i said you're kidding me. That's wow. what I do. <laughs> Small world. Small world. Uh, that's pretty awesome. Mikey, if you're listening, man, 
would love to reconnect with you. <laughs> <laughs> Sit down around a good lazy Susan. Make your own plates. Make your own plates. Play some bass. Hey, I, I think there, and, and maybe this is taking us down uh, an offshoot that we don't necessarily need to address, but I think there are some potential pitfalls uh, in visiting other churches as well. I think, I think there's a danger in comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I know this has nothing to do with where the question was going necessarily, but I think it's, help, it's helpful to uh, just at least uh, say that because while we're – uh, advocating that it's good to see the way that people do other things. I think oftentimes there can be a certain amount of resentment that your church family is not doing it that way. Uh, and so while, while we should use those opportunities to sharpen and educate, I think if there's any point of resentment like, well, I wish we do it that way. I mean, that, that's not a bad thing, at least to have a checks and balances or a different perspective, but don't let it cause you to resent the place where God has planted you and called you to be. Can I grab a Bible verse on that? Go for it. Second Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, um, They say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. It's good. Good. Thanks, man. Sweet. Well, second question. Moving on. And it's a short one, but it's a heavy one. Uh, what is the relationship between common grace and the cross? Common grace and the cross. That is an excellent question. Um, when I saw that question come in, I turned to a good book, by Wayne Grudem. Uh, he had some a really good chapter in his book. What's the definition first? What is common grace? Th- that's exactly what I was about to read. He I'll edit my I'll edit that out. <laughs> you just keep no, talking. No, don't, don't. <laughs> uh, Grudem defines common grace as the grace of God by which he gives people innumerable blessings that are not part of salvation. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's the you know that word common right? Common to all people, right? And not necessarily just uh, the grace that believers experience in in the gospel. And I think that's something that's really important. There are lots of things we could point to uh, just as part of God's uh, goodness and His uh, creative work. Uh, the Bible says that He gives, you know, rain on the just and on the unjust. You can think of uh, just, uh, you know, people having different gifts and abilities, whether it be uh, skills in uh, building things or uh, knowledge and medicine and science or art, things like that. I mean, there are so many unbelievers that just can do so many wonderful things, and we should give thanks for these things. But we should also understand these are not uh, necessarily uh, part of the, the gift of God's grace in salvation. Uh, it should um, cause us to give thanks to God, and it should further the worship of God. But again, it's something uh, different from what Christ accomplished at the cross. That's the question. What is the relationship between common grace and the cross? Because some people might say, well, Jesus, when he went to the cross, he, 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 he bought, he purchased all these gifts for us in salvation. Well, yes, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Paul says, comes to us in Christ. But there are lots of other blessings, earthly blessings, innumerable blessings is what, what Grudem says, that come to us just because God is good and because he made the world and because he loves the world. And he created all kinds of different people with all kinds of different abilities uh, to bring blessing to the world. So I think what's the relationship between common grace and the cross? Um, there's a distinction between the blessings of common grace and the blessings that come to us through what Christ has done in defeating sin, overcoming Satan, and bringing us forgiveness by his blood. Yeah, when I think of common grace, I think of a, a sister term, not, not the exact same term, not a synonym, but a sister, ter- a sister term being general revelation. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
being the difference between specific revelation in that God has made himself known, Romans 1, by his invisible attributes that he has placed in creation. You know, we look at a sunset and we see beauty. Why do we see beauty there? We look at stars and we feel small. Why does that make me feel small? There are things all throughout creation that God has um, placed and instilled generally that he might be known, that he might be seen. However, one cannot be saved by general revelation. Those things draw us to God and ultimately uh, to Christ, but the specific revelation of Christ is Christ crucified, death, burial, and resurrection. God made flesh, dwelt among us, sin, you know, all of, all of these things that we entail into the gospel. So uh, general revelation is not the same thing as specific revelation. In the same way, common grace is not the same as salvific grace. Mm-hmm. Um, both are wonderful. Both are gifts, but both are not uh, the, the same. Mm-hmm. And isn't it true that that uh, the gifts of common grace can lead us, can lead um, people to embrace the saving grace of Christ? That's, Absolutely. That's kind of where I was going to. Okay, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, there's a song by Andrew Peterson, I think, called Don't You Want to Thank Someone? Yeah. You know that song? Yeah. Where he's listing all these amazing gifts like you were just talking about, and those things should cause us to sort of step back and say, wait a minute. Why do I feel this way? Who who made all of this? Don't you want to thank someone? Isn't there something in you that wants to uh, devote your life uh, to to someone, to to a person, to a cause that is so much bigger and more glorious than than just you and just what you have going on in your little life? Don't you want to thank someone? I do think these gifts they demonstrate God's goodness and God's love in a way that I think can. Uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, open people's eyes to something bigger. And then through the gospel itself, they can come to know God in a saving way uh, through Jesus. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, you know we've talked about type, you know, and shadows mm-hmm. of Christ in the Old Testament, you know, different, different types of imagery that mm-hmm. point us to what Christ would ultimately do, sacrificial system. Um, I, I think I think of common grace in that way to your degree. And I think that's what the way that Romans one, you mentioned Romans one earlier when we were discussing, uh, I think that's the way that it's, I mean, that they are without excuse uh, is what, is what Paul says, you know, all of these things point to the fact that there is a God and it should be that. I think it's, was it Paul Tripp that, talks about this giant finger pointing to the fact that there is a God. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> I think that's what common grace is, like the fact that we um, have the image of God in us and, and the fact that we have a moral code. It's kind of an apologetics thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that we know what's right and wrong kind of inside of us without even having to think about it is a pointer to the fact that Christ is uh, the one that would come. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I would agree with you. I agree with that too. Um, There's a Puritan named Jonathan Edwards who talked about this kind of thing. The world is typological. Maybe not in the exact same way as Scripture itself is typological, but because God made the whole world, because He's not just the God of special revelation, but of general revelation, we can look at so many aspects of His creation that that drive us to, to know more of Him. With the lens of Scripture, the lens of the gospel, we can see that, of course, way more clearly and know what these things are actually about. And yet, even for the unbeliever, I, I agree with you, they, they've got to at least come to some um, knowledge of who God is. That's what Romans says. Everyone knows God on some level. Uh, the question is, do we know Him truly and savingly uh, through what He has revealed, through the Word, living Word, written Word that He has given to us? Yeah, yeah. it's good. Sweet. All right, next one. Uh, there's a lot of sovereignty in this one, like mm. God's sovereignty. Uh, does God's sovereignty work like a GPS in our decision-making? When even if we feel like we've chosen the wrong path or decision, he will re-navigate us to the right destination for his glory. Uh, this illustration sounded liberating, but I wasn't sure if it was biblical. 
GPS. Is God's sovereignty GPS? There's more to that. There is. They did, said he didn't need to use it, but background I think info. it helps give some context. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not necessarily, uh, it's just background info. Sometimes this person that texted in fears uh, that making, uh, they have a fear of making wrong big life decisions. It feels like God, uh, or that they will miss God's plan that he had originally intended for their lives, uh, not wanting to make a choice at all. It's in, in, a, in effect a paralytic effect where they don't want to choose because they're scared that they're going to choose something outside of God's will. Hmm. Yeah, the the. Glory paralysis is is a good thing in some ways because it's well motivated mm. because we are fully surrendered to God and we want to live for his glory. So if I wear this red shirt instead of the blue shirt, what if I have picked the wrong shirt and the blue would have given him more glory? Mm. <laughs> you know, it's, I, I understand the, the the feeling and that comes from a really good heart and it comes from a good place at the same time i don't know that that is something that god wants for us i think god can be glorified as much in the red shirt as in the blue shirt and now that doesn't apply across the board to everything but there are some decisions that as we uh form our character as we hand ourselves over to the leadership of the Spirit, as we steep ourselves in God's Word, it becomes not so much the decisions that we make, but the fact that we are making the decisions in that we uh, are conformed more like Christ, to be like Christ, and in Christ-likeness. Therefore, the decisions that we are going to make are going to be more Christ-like. you know, I, I can think of, uh, should I become a, a, a banker or an accountant? Well, you can glorify God either way. So go to school and pursue both of those. Pray about it, obviously. Um, but don't think like in enrolling in a class that you are going to divert yourself from the sovereign will of God. Um, God's sovereign will is bigger than, than that. Uh, if it comes to, hey, should I watch this movie that is wholesome and uplifting or this rated R movie that has all sorts of filth in it, well, there is a choice there that you can make, one that is going to glorify God more than the other. And the more that you spend time in God's Word and time with God's people and the Spirit, uh, those you become more attentive to where those tuners are. So if it's, if it's a situation where th- there just seems to be complete... Uh, ambiguity, complete equality in uh, God glorification, don't let that make you <laughs> paralyzed, to, yeah. to, to use your, your term, uh, but let it, let it make you thankful that God's sovereignty is bigger than the little choices that you make throughout the day. Just trust and follow Him, and He'll, he'll put the footsteps in the right place. I know that it is God's will that Pastor Nathan be neither a banker nor an accountant. I know that he revealed that to me. Yes, um, and all of us. <laughs> that's, right, that's right. That's exactly right. We know your uh, strong suits. I was told there would be no math. Um, <laughs> but not banker, many bankers' accounts should not play the bass hey, or right. lead worship. It that's should right, be an obviety to you. An so obviety. Yeah. Thank yes. you, yeah. Josh. Very yeah, helpful. You're welcome. Um, this, yeah, I think the, the analogy that they're asking about, the GPS, I think it could be helpful, um, maybe, as long as we understand that the detour was also somehow, looking back, part of God's sovereign plan. Um, that for God, there is no nothing that takes him by surprise, like, oh no, he chose the red shirt. Uh, I'm going to have to figure this one out. No, Choosing the red shirt, if that's a thing that we could consider a, a wrong choice, that too is part of God's plan. Um, a, a verse that really means a lot to me and meant a lot to me at a particular time is Ephesians 1, 11, that says, In Him, as in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Right? So, so God doesn't need to consult us or anyone else to accomplish His purpose. He accomplishes, he, he plans all things, uh, he works all things, the Bible says, according to the counsel of his will. Uh, 
and I don't have any idea if this is where the question was going at all, but I think back to, I've actually said to people before, Ephesians 1.11 saved my marriage, right? I can, I can picture back to being married, you know, six months or a year, something like that, and Amory and I are, are having trouble and we're fighting about things, and I remember thinking, like, maybe, maybe I made the wrong choice here. I know for a fact she made the wrong choice, and put it that way. Um, and it was just hard, you know, being being young and and married. I was twenty, she was nineteen, and we were just a mess. Not too different from today, but um, anyway, thinking about that verse late one night, I kind of realized, wait a minute. Even if this is a mistake somehow, the Lord allowed this. The Lord has brought me to this place. I don't think the Lord was caught off guard by, you know, anything that's been happening here. And so if the Lord brought me here, he must have a plan, even in this, even in this quote-unquote wrong decision that I made. And, and I can point just to one of the most obvious things, that it was not just totally random, that God did have a plan, you know, six children. <laughs> you know, God saw them before they were born, and he has a plan for them that goes, you know, far beyond, um, you know, what I could possibly even imagine. So I would just take that as an encouragement that if if it's just up to you and your choices, you know, and your free will, let's say, and you're going to mess it up, well, that's a lot of pressure and a lot of stress mm-hmm. that you are not meant to, to really, you know, carry. Um, ultimately, as you said, we have to make wise decisions. That too is part of God's plan. He has revealed His Word so that we can study, we can obey, we can follow uh, Jesus in all these different decisions that we have to make every day. But at the end of the day, uh, he is working out his good plan. He is telling his story in your story. And so you can just kind of let the pressure just roll off of you and trust him. Yeah. And where there, where, there, where there are clear biblical directives, follow them, or there will be consequences. Your choices absolutely matter. And where there's maybe just not a clear direction, Use biblical wisdom. Ask your friends, <laughs> ask your parents, ask your pastors, whatever the case may be, to try to make the best decisions possible. But at the end of the day, God is going to glorify Himself in all these different situations and twists and turns of life that I think, just you know, by His grace, looking back, will say, He works all things together for good. Even the bad things that happen, even the stupid, wrong missteps that we make, He will work them for good as we thank Him and praise Him for His amazing grace and glory through it all. Yeah. I, you know, one of my favorite verses, I'm not a life-first life, life first guy, but if I had a life-first, Proverbs 19.21 uh, is one that I go to often. It says, many of the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the Lord's will that prevails. And so I would echo uh, what this texture says and the fact that this illustration is liberating because it is. I mean, it takes a lot of the weight off. The danger in that is if you're just callously like not pursuing the Lord and making decisions and ending, like I'm still a firm believer in the fact that you can't necessarily choose something outside of God's will, or at least outside of something that he's going to use to further his glory and and redeem. Uh, And yet uh, you still need to seek first the things of the Lord, and He'll add these things to you. Like He's not just saying, "Just do whatever you want." Uh, he's saying, "Pursue Me first. Like make sure that I'm at the center of what you're pursuing and what you're what you're striving for." Uh, and then, as Kevin DeYoung says in his book, "Just Do Something," he says, "Just choose. Like like make an educated guess, just like you said, Nathan. Uh, seek the counsel." Uh, wise counsel of pastors, friends that can help you seek the scriptures, uh, and, and then make a call. Uh, and, and I think I think we're naive to think that if we're doing those things, that we can choose something outside of His will. Uh, I think the times that we question whether or not we made the right call, quote unquote, is when things are rough. You know, and, and so uh, the thing is, like just like you said, Romans eight twenty eight says, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to His purpose. That that includes the worst thing. Like we've all gone through difficult seasons. Um, and looking back, like I can say that the Lord has used them and redeemed them. And that's not to say that we chose wrong in those instances or, or did something wrong <clears throat> in those instances, but the Lord used it. I mean, he used sinful people <laughs> all the way up through, I mean, good grief. It went to the cross because people chose mm-hmm. what we would perceive as a horrible decision to crucify him. Right. Yeah. 
Uh, and yet, like Judas, better, better that he not be born. You know, yeah. the Son of Man goes for him. You know that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so like, I, I just I think that whenever we're questioning uh, these decisions that that we're making, we need to take a more of an objective look at just what the Lord is doing uh, in, in just this entire plan. Uh, that he's got that's playing out. Uh, I think it's much bigger than just something as small as should I get this job or not. Like just choose and pursue him in the midst of it. Something you said there reminds me of Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine and a distinction that people make. I agree with what you said. You know, you said in, in one sense it's it's hard to imagine how we could choose something outside of God's will. Well, 29.29 in Deuteronomy says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Mm. And based on that verse, some people have drawn a distinction between the secret will of God and the revealed will of God. Obviously, we can choose things that are contrary to the revealed will of God. God says, do not steal. And yes, some people steal peanut M&Ms, for example. <laughs> there's, there's a revealed will of God that we should not, must not transgress, and yet we do. And Christ came to pay for those, for those sins. But there is a secret will of God. In other words, there is a plan that he has uh, uh, formed, he has enacted, he will work out, that goes way back before uh, us, before the beginning of time, and will be completed uh, in, in eternity. And that's something that we just can't fathom, can't have access to. And yes, you're right, and that's kind of what I think we're saying here. There is a, a will of God that will be worked out. He works all things according to the counsel of his own will. Praise God <laughs> that even the mistakes... And the bad things that that we do or other people do to us, they are part of that. It gives us confidence to to just walk forward in the revealed will of God. And again, when there are things that we're not quite sure, let's use wisdom. Let's 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 ask people, but know that he's he's working it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the GPS analogy is helpful in the regard that it can remind us that there is a way, there is a destination, there is someone beyond us who knows and who has told us and who has revealed. see the whole thing. Yeah, you can see the whole thing, knows uh, as, as things seem to be shifting, you know, can say, do this to get here, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's helpful. We can trust that. The, the asterisk that I would want to put by that, two things. One, I don't get along with Siri, so we're, we're, we're already like. But if I if I'm to put to put that to the side, I know I know some people who will say, I know that I'm sinning in doing this, but God will forgive it anyway. Oh, Paul so, has something to say about that. <laughs> yeah, so so there is that kind of danger in that you know sometimes Siri will say turn left, I'm like Mm-mm, yep. I'm going right. Because I know eventually yeah. I'll still end up there. Yeah. But I'm gonna do it my way. Right. That doesn't jive mm-hmm. with uh with the gospel. So so yes, in many ways, helpful analogy in some ways uh sounds like Siri. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh yeah. Hey, if if you need connection with resources, uh or if you need wisdom on making a decision, like we wanna we wanna help walk through that with you. We wanna point you to good resources that can help uh walk through that with you. But uh really when it all boils down to it, pursue the Lord. Uh seek his seek his will uh in the midst of that and just choose. So uh okay, last one uh is actually a two parter. Or two questions. Mm-hmm. They kind of revolve around the same thing. So do you want me to ask them both at the yeah. same time? Or Okay. Uh, so it has to do with the song you sang yesterday, Nathan. Not just me, man. Not just you. We all sang it. We, we sang, sang congregationally mm-hmm. a song called There Is a Redeemer. Uh, mm-hmm. One section of that song says this, Thank you, O oh my Father, for giving us your son. I just... Singing it in my head, mm-hmm. trying not to bust out in song. Uh, and then it goes on to say, and leaving your spirit till the work on earth is done. Uh, in this verse, the song talks about the Father leaving his spirit on earth. John 16, 7 talks about Jesus telling his disciples he must go in order to send the helper, i.e., the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus does not go, the Holy Spirit will 
not come. Uh, my understanding, this is the texture, my understanding is that the Holy Spirit proceed, proceeds eternal from the Father and the Son, that the Holy Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son. So question one, God the Father, who is Spirit, is uniquely his own person of the Trinity, distinct from the Holy Spirit person, or the person of the Holy Spirit. The song verse seems incorrect to infer that the Father's Spirit was left on earth. Please clarify. Question two. If the your spirit, quote-unquote, is intended to infer the Holy Spirit, it seems unclear that the Holy Spirit was left behind in earth or on earth when Jesus ascended, when Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit was sent some days after Jesus' ascension. Mm-hmm. Explain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot there. Yep. Um, I, think, I think that... Um, well, first of all, let me say this before I kind of get into it. I really appreciate the question mm-hmm. because... Yeah. Um, especially as, um, I think, evangelical Protestant believers, we need to think more uh, clearly about the Trinity. We need to be more explicitly Trinitarian because um, the Trinity is who God is, and the Trinity really helps us understand uh, what the gospel is all about. And so it's an essential Christian doctrine that is sometimes hard to understand and sometimes difficult to kind of see the the practical uh, importance of it. But you can't go far in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, without understanding the just the centrality of this teaching um, for our Christian lives. Um, it's surprising to see how many times the Apostle Paul, for example, uh, and and the other the other New Testament writers just refer to the Trinity. It's just it's just part of who they are and how they think in ways that we want to follow them and need to follow them. So I really appreciate trying to think through this more carefully. It seems that the the questioner kind of has two concerns, the person of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Really, the question of the person, the identity of the the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit um, sent by Father and Son? Is the Spirit of Christ also the Spirit of the Father? Um, I think that's kind of what they're getting at in that first first question. Um, uh, the the song seems incorrect to infer that the Father's Spirit was left on earth. Um, I'm not quite sure what they mean there, but the the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, is also the Spirit of the Father. Um, you can see that in in different ways. Uh, first of all, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of the Father. In different places, uh, like for example, Matthew 10, the spirit of your father will give you the words to speak at that time. Um, uh, He's called the spirit of Christ at different times. You can see that the spirit is sent by the father and the son. If you read John 14, John 15, uh, we can see that kind of dynamic there where Jesus says, he will ask the father and the father will send the spirit. And then later Jesus says, I will send the Holy Spirit. So the, the, the Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son. Uh, so it's kind of a both and. And it's not wrong, uh, as, as, the, as the song says. In fact, it's a very natural way to pray, very biblical way to pray, to thank the Father for the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how we pray. We pray to the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's kind of the typical pattern of biblical prayer. And that's what the song is doing there. So it's the Spirit Himself who causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. So yes, the Father's Spirit uh, was given to us, just like He is also the Spirit of Christ, sent by Father and Son. I think it's interesting. Well, the second line of the song says, thank you, my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit. So like, I guess the same question could be asked of the your Son. Like, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, we're, it's easier to differentiate father and son, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't think most people struggle with, even though, you know, equally God. Uh, but the your spirit is is a harder barrier to overcome because we know that God is spirit, right? And the and only so, way that we can access the father is through the son, right? Right. And so, yeah, it seems like first person, second person, third person, there's more of a, 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 a distance, let's say, sure. in our minds between father and spirit yeah. than there is between father and son. And typically, when we talk about the distinctions within the persons of the Godhead, usually we're talking about the son, 
mm-hmm. in, in some way because there's so much, uh, we'll say more biblical data on that. Um, uh, anyway, yeah. You want to follow up further? Well, and I think we, you know, with the Holy Spirit in general, we tend to keep the Holy Spirit at arm's distance. Like, like it's, it's kind of a, you know, I'm not advocating reading Francis Chan stuff, but he wrote the book Forgotten God uh, years and years and years ago. Um, I don't even remember anything in it. But I think as, as Southern Baptists pushing back against charismatic craziness, we tend to hold the Holy Spirit at arm's length because we're like, no, there's too much crazy uh, on that end of the spectrum. And so I think, I think just like you said, it, it's, it's easy to look to the father. It's easy to look at Christ, uh, but the Holy spirit, we're like, mm, you know, we're just hesitant. Mm-hmm. And I think there's more speculation and just misunderstanding, um, mm-hmm. that he's equally a part of the Trinity. So, well, and I may be misunderstanding the question. So that's, that's, that's very possible. Well, but I, when I, he says he thinks it's incorrect, to infer that the Father's Spirit was I think, left on earth. I think the question is differentiating Father's Spirit from Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think that's probably the 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 question is, is the song saying that the Father's Spirit was left on earth, but the Holy Spirit comes later? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I see. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't thought about that much. But yeah, I'm, I'm saying that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Father. Right. Mm-hmm. right. As He is the Spirit of Christ. I would agree. Yeah, and it's important that we say it's not the Spirit owned by or subservient to the Father or, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a way in which, first first and foremost, as you said, love the wrestling with the question, the lyrics that we sing, because I think specificity is incredibly helpful, and I think definition is incredibly helpful. At the same time, there are times and within certain contexts and certain frames, I think the ambiguity and the overlap is also just as helpful. Uh, and I th- think specifically of in the Great Commission when Jesus says, uh, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, this is the same Jesus that just said, unless I leave, I can't send the Holy Spirit to you. you know, so is Jesus with us always? Well, yes and no. Jesus had to leave. He, he said he had to be crucified and ascend, and he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. Does that mean that, that Christ has abandoned us? No, he is with us always in his spirit. That's right. so, so you wouldn't call Jesus out, you know, say, oh, no, you're wrong. Jesus in that moment was speaking Trinitarianly, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in in that context by referring to himself. So I think there's a way in which the members of the Trinity refer even to themselves specifically still within the yes. context of the Trinity because sure. it's not as differentiated to them. Um, it's it's hard for us to imagine. So I, I think uh, that that's where I'm I'm okay with the lyric because I I think it's speaking within that realm. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. being trinitarianly, trinitarianly uh, which, again, not a word, but... Uh, Obviety. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you should know this. They do, the, 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 the Son and the, or the Spirit and the Father do not obviate one another. They don't? Well, they should. <laughs> well said. Well, and, and so that brings us to the second part of the question, and I think yeah. there's, a, there's a time issue with this. You know, the, the question is, it's unclear that the Holy Spirit was left behind on earth when Jesus ascended, when Scripture mm-hmm. teaches that the Holy Spirit was sent some days after Jesus' ascension. You know, there, you see this, uh, you know, I refer to it as kind of the intertestamental period between Jesus leaving and, and the Holy Spirit coming, you mm-hmm. know, upper room. Uh, like, uh, can we speak to that? Like, was the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit here, not here? Yeah, like no God on earth at that time, like right. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think the concern there is the song perhaps um, implies that the Spirit was at work in the ministry of Jesus and then uh, left behind when Jesus was ascended. Somehow missing the significance of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Something like that may be the concern, and there may be a point there. Uh, it, It 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 may be that a a uh, more precise way to say it would be, thank you, oh, my Father, for giving us your Son and sending your Spirit uh, till the work on earth is done. I just don't think the song itself is really kind of getting that specific. It's just sort of looking at the the, the work of God 
uh, in a broader way and saying thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we can continue this mission that you have set us on, uh, not in our own strength and in our own power, but relying on you. And yeah, I think that's 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 right to say, relying on God, <laughs> relying on the power of our Father who loves us, yeah. relying on Christ who, who died for us and who promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Well, how is God the Father and God the Son with us? in the person of the Holy Spirit, just like you said, mm. in a very real, very intimate, very powerful way. So, yeah, again, I don't have a problem with the song, um, but I appreciate just the the clarification and kind of thinking more carefully about how we um, just understand and apply the doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah, there are some some different layers of pneumatology, which is the study of, of the Spirit, that I think are important to kind of parse out as well. It wasn't like the Holy Spirit was waiting on a, ch- a chain, like a, a dog mm-hmm. waiting until Pentecost. Yeah. As early as Exodus 31, there is mention of people being filled with the Spirit. Bezalel is mentioned being filled with the Spirit as, as an artisan. Uh, we see in the act of creation, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Uh, we see many places throughout the Old Testament in which the Spirit filled mm-hmm. someone. So the Spirit is always here. Mm-hmm. At Pentecost, it wasn't just that the Spirit came, it was that the Spirit began to indwell believers. Uh, so it was. So, th- so that's that's something to, to 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 think about. The Holy Spirit was here while Christ was here; He was active in the act of creation, just as Christ was active in the act of creation, as was the Father uh, in in mutual in mutual work. So, the Holy Spirit was always here. There was no time in which God was not here in any in any way, shape, or form. Um, but the activity. Mm-hmm of the Holy Spirit changed at Pentecost, uh, not the Holy Spirit himself. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, great hopefully questions. That, hopefully that helps. Yeah. Um, and we're not afraid, by the way, to alter lyrics. I don't think we need to alter mm-hmm. this one, but uh, just recently um, I changed a couple of lyrics in verse 3 of Rise Up, O Church of God. And I can't remember what they were or what I changed them to right now. Love and Justice. Now that is O Church Arise, a ah, different song. Ah, ah. So we do this often, is what you're saying. We rarely do it, but we did it <laughs> on, in two different songs. If that you we sang on the same song, we never do this. <laughs> beep, beep. We'll just cut this out of the podcast. That's right. That's right. Yeah, O Church Arise, uh, verse uh, three or four, whatever it is, says, Come see the cross where love and mercy meet, where the Son of God was stricken. And a long time ago, um, there was a theologian pastor theologian in our church named Bruce Ware, and he came to our worship leader, a guy who was a good friend of mine named Chip Stam, and he, he and if you know Dr. Ware, he's just a very, he's a very uh, godly man, a very brilliant man, but just one who is very passionate about the things of God. And he came to Chip Stam, and he said, I think I was standing there, and he said, we need to change the lyric to that song, because love and mercy are close together. They don't they don't, there's nothing particularly remarkable about love and mercy meeting, but at the cross, God's love and God's justice meet, and God is therefore just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, and he just kind of was getting really worked up about it. Chip Stam actually called Keith Getty and said, can we, can you change that lyric? I mean, can we get it changed in the in the hymnal or, or in, you know, song books or whatever? And Keith Getty got back to him and said, "No, we can't. It's, it's done. <laughs> but you guys can sing it however you want to." You know? <laughs> cool. So I do think there's a, a biblical insight there that I've always held on to. I'm glad I was standing there that day. Uh, come see the cross where love and justice meet. Mm. Praise God. Mm. Amen. Amen. Cool. Well, hey, uh, thanks for hanging with us on this edition of the Arrow Heights Podcast. If you've got questions, uh, hopefully you know the number, but if not, 918-280-9628 is the number to text in. Tell all your friends if you have questions about the sermon or something that comes up in cross-training on Wednesday nights. We would love to hear about it. Uh, We'd love to answer. And at this point, we have answered every question that's come in to the podcast. We can say that. That we know of, yes. Uh, Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next time on the Arrow Heights Podcast.